Oh God, God, the deadly sound of the jinn's fearful cry. Quick, neath the spiral round of the deep staircase, fly. See, see our lamplight fade. And of the balustrade, mounts, mounts the circling shade up to the ceiling high. Tis the jinn's wild streaming swarm, whistling in their tempest flight. Snap the tall yews neath the storm, like a pine flame crackling bright. Swift and heavy, low their crowd, through the heavens rushing loud, like a livid thunder cloud, with its bolt of fiery night. From Lejeune, by Victor Hugo. Listeners out there in the hinterlands, welcome back. I'm Max, and this is my co-host Rock. We'll be your guides today as we explore the sands of time for hidden knowledge on nightmares and daydreams. Yes, indeed. Welcome. Max and I are going to discuss and debate our way through all things paranormal, legendary, and monstrous. And of course, our personal favorite, fun. Fun, yes. Switching intro roles is fun. It is, Max. It's nice to mix things up. That's a lot of fun. But you know what's not fun, Rock? I bet you're going to tell me. An ancient race of beings formed from fire. You know, it's still cold outside, so I can't say a bit of fire is entirely unwelcome. We're talking fire hot enough to burn you to ash, and beings with largely unlimited power over nature. Okay, Max, you're making it sound way less desirable now. Thanks. (laughs) You're most welcome. Jinn, who are the subject of this week's show, are often called genies in our culture, yeah? Yes, sir. And there are a lot of famous genies out there. Indeed, there are. First one that comes to mind for me is Aladdin's genie from The Lamp. Yeah, that's kind of the most classic literary instance, although I believe, in fact, there were two genies that Aladdin interacted with, the lamp genie and also a ring genie. Was that the one also played by Robin Williams? No, I think the ring one was played by Will Smith. Listen, mad respect to Will Smith, but I much prefer the Robin Williams version. (laughs) I think everyone does. But the two are actually two different types of jinn. The ring jinn is an afrit. And the lamp jinn is a more powerful, wish-granting marid. So even Shaharazad liked Robin Williams better. <laughs> Why are you trying to make Will Smith mad? He's one of our biggest supporters. That's not true. If the genie grants my wish, it will be. You know, speaking of wishes, another famous genie that many of our listeners may not know is Genie from the 60s sitcom I Dream of Genie. I love me some Barbara Eden back in the day. Great show. Mm-hmm. Used to watch it when I stayed home from school when I was a kid. Same here. Okay, Max, so you mentioned two different kinds of djinn, but there are more, yeah? Yeah, there are. What are they? Well, the wish-granting genies like we have in Disney's Aladdin or in I Dream of Genie, those are marids. Okay, so I remember from our old D&D games that there were like four kinds, right? One for each element. Marids were the water ones. Yeah, I'm not sure D&D has this one exactly right in this instance. What are the types? So, Ifrit's... And Marids, we all know from the gaming table. Mm -hmm. And while the information in the RPGs is not exactly right, it's not totally wrong either. Ifrits are fiery, almost infernal djinn who have societal structures imitating pre-modern human societies. 
feudal societies, like with kings and stuff. Exactly. And they can shapeshift into animals or look like humans. Great. Now they're skinwalkers. <laughs> a little bit different cultural bases, but yeah, along those lines. Except, aren't skinwalkers human witches? True, true. But like we say, that's a whole nother podcast. So yeah, freaks hang out in the desert and ruins and are often blamed for sandstorms. That's some super strong weather magic right there. And then there are Marids. And those are the more powerful ones, yeah? Yes. I've read a story where they tried to eavesdrop on angels talking about the fate of the universe. And the angels drove them away with fiery arrows. Interesting, I hadn't heard that. Story goes, that is much of what we see as shooting stars. Mess not with angels with plus five bows of seeking. (laughs) I like that. Perhaps we should tell a story of these wonderful beings. Your wish, as they say, is my command. Once upon a time, in a far city of Cathay, there dwelt a poor tailor who had only one son named Aladdin. This boy was a born never-do-well and never wanted to learn a trade, no matter what pressure his father might apply. He preferred playing dice in the streets or even tricking travelers out of their change. Stricken with grief because of the waywardness and idle conduct of his son, the father fell ill and died, and the mother found great difficulty in supporting herself to say nothing of the worthless Aladdin as well. While she wore the flesh off her bones in the endeavor to obtain a meager subsistence, Aladdin would amuse himself with his fellow urchins on the street, only returning home to his meals. In this way he continued until he was 14 years of age, when his extraordinary destiny took him by the hand. One day he was playing in the gutter with his ragged companions when a Moorish dervish came by and catching sight of Aladdin's face, suddenly stopped and approached him. The dervish was a sorcerer who had discovered many hidden secrets by his black art. He saw Aladdin as someone he could manipulate and so approached him, passing himself off as the brother of Aladdin's late father, Mustafa the tailor, convincing Aladdin and his mother of his goodwill by pretending to set up the lad as a wealthy merchant. Mustafa, as the fake uncle called himself, Though that was not his name, took Aladdin for a walk through the city's markets and gardens, showing him many delights and buying him some as well. Finally, they came to a quiet garden away from the crowded streets. He said to Aladdin, Rest here a while, O my son, and when thou art refreshed, gather some wood, and we will make a fire. Then, if thou wish to see a most wonderful thing, I will show thee that which will take thy breath away. Then, lighting a fire, he muttered an incantation, and the hillside opened. Then Mustafa bade his pretend nephew into the opening, and gave him his brass ring as a token of encouragement, but neglected to inform him of its true nature and proper use. Go in, and retrieve the brass lamp. And he proceeded to give him instructions on how to do so, instructions he must follow to the letter or risk death. Aladdin, encouraged did as the man he thought an uncle bade. He entered the underground passage and saw many wondrous things, gardens and treasures galore. He loaded his pockets with gems and retrieved the lamp itself. But when he finally returned out of breath to the exit, the imposter uncle would not extend a hand to help him out. 
set the lamp out here on the ground, and then I'll help you out. But Aladdin saw a suspicious gleam in the man's eye and refused. No matter how his uncle cajoled, he determined to maintain his hold on the lamp. Finally, frustrated and enraged, the uncle in a magical tantrum roared an incantation. The earth shuddered and the ground closed up with Aladdin inside. He called and called, but there was no answer. Beside himself in fright, Aladdin set his eyes downcast, and seeing an inner light in the ring, breathed on it and rubbed it to better see the shine. No sooner had he done this when the slave of the ring appeared and gathered shape before him, first in the luminous haze, and then gradually clearer. Ask what you will, and it shall be done, said the apparition, for know that I am the slave of the ring, and the slave of him on whose finger the master placed the ring. Aladdin, seeing before him an ifrit after the order of those invoked by the Lord Suleiman, was terrified and his tongue clung to the roof of his mouth so that he could not speak, but the Efreet reassured him with kindly speech. Man, Arabian Nights is so good. So many great stories in there. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I used to read them all the time as a kid. And there is something in that very abridged version of Aladdin and the Lamp that I'd like to point out. What's that? The Shady Uncle? No, no, no. It's his reference to the Lord Suleiman. Oh, yeah? Well, some of our lovely listeners out there may not be aware of who this Suleiman is. True. I'll be honest. I hadn't read the Arabian Nights for many years, and I only recently noticed this. So, yeah, please do tell. Okay, so Lord Suleiman is King Solomon, son of King David, who, in Islamic text, is called Dawood or Daud. And why would this text refer to King Solomon, of all people, Rock? In Islamic tradition, Solomon is venerated as a prophet, but he was also the wisest man ever known. This cat could do some outlandish stuff, Max, like Gandalf-level stuff. Exactly. Like, he could cut babies in half? Not exactly, man, but he was brilliant and supposedly had powerful magic and spoke the language of birds. Those are some of the smartest animals. Yep. I've seen crows on TV using tools and cracking nuts with cars. Solomon was also given other abilities by Allah, according to some lore, controlling the wind, ruling of jinn, enslaving demons, and understanding the communication of ants. <laughs> Those are some pretty good superpowers, especially the ant one. Exactly, they're great architects. <laughs> but more on point, so was he the ruler of all jinn? You know, I'm not sure if it was all, but there is a lot of lore about him controlling some of them. His seal, the seal of Solomon, inscribed on a magic ring, gave him power over demons and jinn. I mean, Max, that ring makes Green Lantern's ring look like it came out of a Cracker Jack box, my man. <laughs> what are Cracker Jacks? Oh, shut up, dude. You're older than I am. You know what they are. <laughs> By like three months. Settle down, Grandpa. <laughs> All right, let's focus. Okay. So, there is another story, actually, in the Arabian Nights about a genie in a bottle that was at the bottom of a lake. And did an astronaut find it? Exactly. What's the Arabic version of Tony? <laughs> but no, there was a wax seal imprinted with the seal of Solomon on the urn, so he couldn't escape. So yes, uh, confirmation of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, Asmodeus himself was controlled by the ring as a servant of Solomon. So Solomon was playing a dangerous game there, and I don't mean D&D. Mm-hmm, exactly. Before he became a Dungeons and Dragons monster, Asmodeus was an Archduke of Hell, according to medieval demonologist. Yikes. 
That's not with hellish royalty, I always say. We do always say that. (laughs) But what do you think about the idea of binding jinn and devils into service? I don't know. I mean, normally I'm 100% against enslavement of any kind, but if an archduke of hell or an almighty jinn is bearing down on me and I have a magic ring, I don't know what I'd do. My ethics might lose that battle. (laughs) Dude, like for me, no question. I would bring the power of the ring to bear. If it's me or them... Hmm. No, I, I feel you. If it's a matter of self-preservation, I, I have to say I'd probably lean that way. For sure. And, you know, all that said, it's disturbing all the nonchalant talk of the enslavement of a race of beings, however scary. You know, but I guess a lot of these tales developed at a time when that kind of service... Slavery. Yeah, let's call it what it is. When that kind of slavery was just taken for granted. The strong taking what they wanted from the weak. Exactly. King Solomon Jinn stories are like the obnoxious Thanksgiving uncle of legends. <laughs> <laughs> they just won't shut up. <laughs> nice. It also reminds me of the Golem stories that we talked about last season. Yep, true enough. Additionally, makes me think of that one X-Files. <laughs> and here we were doing so well today. No, 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 no. But do you remember Mulder wished for peace on Earth and the genie killed everyone except him? Great job, Max. Spoiler alert. That was like 20 years ago. <laughs> You know, I guess that's all right then. Just outside the statute of limitations. Carry on, good sir. Okay, let's move on. I've been trying. Okay, okay, I'm ready now. So, besides those two classes of gin, there are more though, yeah? Indeed. The next is actually one of my favorites, although it's one of the darker kinds. Of course you like the evil ones. Not surprising. (laughs) The third type are ghouls. Ghouls. Well, Max, according to my third edition monster manual, those are undead, not gin. Get your facts straight, okay, bro? (laughs) All right. Well, yeah. Not quite. In fact, though, I believe that's where the concept of our ghouls came from. How so? Like, what are these gin ghouls like? Do they level drain the heck out of you? (laughs) Exactly. Ghouls, gilan is uh, Arabic plural, are said to be the offspring of Iblis. Iblis. Okay, like that's the Islamic Satan, right? Like the Sauron of the Sands? Like the Devil of the Dunes? (laughs) Sauron of the Sands? You're ridiculous, dude. (laughs) All right. Like a free, they're shapeshifters. They live in graveyards and eat human flesh and drink their blood, including that of corpses that they dig up from the cemetery. Ah, okay, now that definitely sounds ghoulish to me. Very D&D ghouls. (laughs) Well, it literally is ghoulish. And the female ones can be even more insidious. That sounds sexist and true. Hell hath no (laughs) fury and all that jazz. I'm not sure Jenna are the most progressive of beings. So what makes the female ghouls so scary? Well, they're nocturnal like the males, but they tend to appear more like normal mortal women Uh, and interact just like human women until they marry a human. Uh Uh-oh. And then the poor sot becomes her personal prey. Yikes. Better be careful out there, guys and gals. That woman you're so keen on might not be a woman. Well, not a human woman anyway. Fair enough. Just, hey... Invite her out for brunch or daytime coffee. (laughs) Exactly. all we're saying. Maybe wear some extra silver and (laughs) accidentally splash her with some holy water while yelling, the power of Christ compels you. I mean, just a thought, man. Like, better safe than sorry. (laughs) Oh, excuse me. I spilled my drink. The power of Christ compels you, by the way. Wise precaution. If they start smoking and, you know, writhing in pain, (laughs) you might want to, you know, just break it off. Anyways. Let's focus, Max. So let's also shift gears a bit. Let's talk about Ross Al Ghul. Like from Batman? Yes and no. So the term is Arabic. It means head of the ghoul or head of the ogre. Nice. I can see how that'd be a good name for a supervillain. Great name, actually. And also it's a name for a star. The star Al Ghul. 
It is called the Demon Star and is considered unlucky in a bunch of cultures, from Arabic to English to Chinese. Madonna was definitely not singing about this star. Algol is the star that forms the head of Medusa in the Perseus constellation, I believe. A different sort of monster, but I love how across so many cultures and times, instincts for certain things and stories about those things are shared regarding what's sacred and profane. Leave it to you to know what's up with the classical studies, Medusa and Perseus. <laughs> you know, it's lucky and unlucky. I completely agree. It's one of my favorite things about studying this field. There are just so many commonalities across cultures. Just goes to show. What does it go to show? Well, that we're all just one big family. So true. If you learn one thing tonight, lovely people, let it be that. Also, don't trust ghoulish women. <laughs> Or ghoulish people. Good advice. So along the same lines as female ghouls are the sea lot. I have not heard of those. Do tell. So the Monster Manual really let us down on this one. Seriously, how are we supposed to learn this stuff if it's not in the sacred and informative Monster Manual? These Jan, like many others, are shapeshifters. And these act like succubi to lure men in, but they're said not to always be evil. And in fact, there are many stories throughout Islamic culture regarding offspring of human and jinn relations. Very interesting. I didn't know that was possible. Do you have an example of such a story? I believe the Alamut fantasy series by Judith Tarr includes such a person. Yeah, that's not real, Max. Are you sure? Well, if it is, the books are miscategorized because did you not just call them fantasy books? <laughs> Point taken. But anyway, <laughs> this is quite another story about a water spirit called a Muziyara. In Egypt, belief in water spirits is said to be quite strong. Apparently, these water jinn women can capture a man and marry him, but he is compelled to keep their identity secret. If he lets it slip, and we know how that always goes, mm -hmm. he disappears with the presumption that she's dragged him off into the water with her. There are so many tales like that. And it's a good deal if you can keep your mouth shut, which, like 30 years later, the guy never can. <laughs> like, remember Minakichi and the Yuki Ona from last season? Uh-huh. No one ever keeps their mouth shut, right? Yep, that's for sure. So go ahead and tell us this story, please. One night, Idris was returning from the city. He was riding his mare and was on the main road. At the bridge, he heard a voice calling, Oh, Idris, oh, Idris. He looked around and didn't see anyone, but thought it was the wind or something and just kept going. The voice called again, Oh, Idris, come and help me. He looked toward the voice and saw a woman standing by the canal with a water jar in front of her. She couldn't raise it to carry it over her head. So Idris, being chivalrous, dismounted and walked to her. He saw that she was not from his village. He asked her, What are you doing here at this hour? She answered, I'm from over there, turning her head toward the eastern part of the village. We are neighbors. I just had to get water and time passed and it became too late. Wouldn't you let me mount behind you and ride to my house? Idris said, All right. He put her behind him on the mare and went on. A short while later, he noticed she was restless. He looked behind him, only to see her getting her breast out. It was an iron breast, and fire was glowing at the nipple. He immediately realized that she was a Muzayara, and she was going to kill him. He poked his mare with all his might and caused it to rear up while he held tightly to the reins. The Muzayara fell to the ground, and he fled like the wind. 
As he got further away, he heard her biting her finger and cursing, Ah, son of a dog, you got away from me. Her eyes were sparkling with fire. You know, I think it's interesting that she's a water spirit, but she's got iron breast with fiery eyes and fiery nipples. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. Although, if we look at the theology behind the origin of the Jin race, I guess it makes sense. Yes, God made man of clay. Well, Adam at least. Right, but he made the Jin from smokeless fire. So even the Merit have that fiery element. So interesting and honestly kind of cool. I agree. It's a fascinating subject. Our Islamic cultures... You know, Middle East, Central Asia, North Africa, and whatnot. The only ones that have belief in jinn. I mean, there are some European countries as well, like Bosnia and Albania, although I guess those are Islamic countries as well. Mm -hmm. But actually, there's some conjecture that the Roman concept of the genius locus, like a spirit of a person or place, might have had some connection, at least etymologically. I'm not sure which came first, though. In any case... Definitely sound familiar. Yeah, so before we wrap up, I wanted to touch on one thing I discovered while researching the gin. What's that? You got like a water spirit in your family tree? You always said you're part Selkie. I think that's where my powers come from. Or your madness and webbed feet. Hey, I consider those gifts. <laughs> but no. Did you know that the gin, allegedly, I mean, according to some legends, kidnap babies and replace them with changelings just like the Fae do? Yeah, it's funny. I like how you say it, like you're afraid of getting sued by the Jinn's attorneys. Allegedly, the Jinn have stolen babies. <laughs> <laughs> Never can be too careful. Yeah, you know, I suppose, and it is fascinating, and I did read that as well. So many similarities. It's all connected, right? Maybe you could tell us a quick story. I can, and I shall. My father said there was a man in our village who was married and had a son. It was only 40 days old. His wife had left the boy in a room by himself and gone to work around the house. When she returned, the boy was sick. They took him to everyone they could think of, but to no avail. They took him to doctors, sheiks, and imams. They took him to mosques and saints' shrines. He ate ravenously, but was wasting away. One day his father looked in his mouth and found that the supposedly 40-day-old infant had teeth. He knew it was a badal, a changeling. He got his cattle whip and said to it, Where will it hurt you the most? Then he snapped the whip until the baby finally blurted, I'll bring your son back. They found their own son in the room, and the other one disappeared into the ground. For the jinn had exchanged one of their own for the boy. Glad they got the baby back safe. And with only the threat of violence. Every story doesn't have to be bloody. Thankfully. I think that's going to do it for us tonight, lovely listeners. We hope you enjoyed our stories. Yes, friends, we hope you did. And if you did, tell your friends about us. Get them to listen as well. And don't forget to review us on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. We know we sound like a broken record. But we need reviews, and it makes an enormous difference in our ability to continue this passion project of ours. Also, don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All that. The music for our show is Calliope's Call by Teresa Joy. Find her at Viobrite, V-I-O-B-R-I-T-E, on Instagram and Facebook. 
and stop by her own website to pick up some of her amazing music. It's TeresaJoyMusic, all one word, dot com. Also, visit our webpage at NightmaresPodcast.net and say hi and score some of our fun merch. And people, as always, sweet dreams. dreams.